Welcome to Horns Up. I'm Animesh. And I'm Peter. And today it's time to talk black metal. Specifically, we're talking and celebrating the third studio album by Norwegian black metal band Satyricon. That's Nemesis Divina. And it's not just Peter and me who are talking this album up. Making a return to Horns Up all the way from Singapore once again. Give it up for Ravi Balakrishnan. How's it going, hey, Ravi? Hey, how's it going? Hey, man. I just asked you the same question. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, it's going well. Let's come back to Nemesis Divina. As I said before, this is Satyricon's third studio album, released 22nd April 1996. And that means it's set to turn 25 years old this year in 2021. Generally considered one of the must-listen classics of Norwegian black metal, Nemesis Divina clocks in just under 43 minutes with seven songs. The album features founding members Sigurd von Greven, better known as... Satyr. Satyr, <laughs> yes. Satyr on vocals, guitars and bass. And... Jettel Vidar Helvstad, better known as? Frost. <laughs> on drums or battery, whatever you want to call it. Joining them, of course, is Tej Kizlum. <laughs> Who's actually, I, and I'm going to butcher this, but Kevil Dulv. I'm like, <laughs> that's yeah. what he's credited uh, we, as. We, we better album. known him as Nocturno Culto from Dark Throne on guitars. So we are here to bring in the 25th birthday of this album. And we'll do this without cake, but... We'll do this with thoughts, opinions, and our stories about the album. We'll run through the songs, definitely chat about Mother North, and try and answer just why this album needs to be celebrated. So let's set the stage and start the conversation with a simple question. When did you first hear the album? Paint us your picture. Tell us. And we'll begin with you, Peter. What was your first experience with Nemesis Divina? And how much of experience had you had with Black Metal and with Satyricon? when you first popped your Nemesis Divina cherry? What was it like? <laughs> so, I mean, it wasn't like as dramatic as you're making it out to be, right? I mean, because I, I first remember hearing Satyricon on a compilation and I think it was a Century Media compilation. So they had the track Fuel for Hatred and by then like Satyricon was this black and roll band. So I was like, okay, who are these guys kind of thing. And uh, with, I think anyone who's years Uh, older episodes of like all the albums from 20 years as always this album was given to me on a burnt cd but this was like somebody who actually was giving up on metal so a friend of a friend was like i don't want to listen to extreme metal any extreme metal anymore so i got like a bunch these stacked of burnt cds and it was like dark throne satyricon all those kind of bands so as part of it was uh, nemesis divine and uh, Divina, and that's when I kind of first heard the album. So I had heard a bit of black metal, but like going through all of this, you can tell like why 25 years later, we're still talking about the album. What about you, Ravi? Oh, um, uh, yeah, well, even I landed it as a burnt CD initially. I met this guy on, I think, a short-lived Indian gaming forum called Kawabonka.com. Oh, strange name. But hey, it was the first dot-com boom. So people probably thought it was cool. Uh, so uh, this dude uh, apparently trained for, you know, the burgeoning professional gaming tourney scene, which was like in its, uh, you know, probably, oh, what comes infancy. before infancy? It, actually, this was before <laughs> infancy. So it was probably just swirling around in the scrotal sack of, you know, where it was going to emerge from. So... Uh, this guy uh, had, uh, you know, a, a whole bunch of these new heavy metal bands that I was interested in checking out. So I got, I had to pay him a hundred bucks a disc because, hey, uh, people were ripping each other off hand over fist back then. Uh, ripping so, each other off while ripping off albums. Yeah, while ripping off the artist as well. Uh, so I got... Uh, uh, Nemesis Divina, I got Enthroned Darkness Triumphant, and I got the Slipknot debut. I naturally, I mean, I pretty much liked them in the order that I mentioned. Uh, I really like Nemesis Divina. I liked Enthroned Darkness Triumphant. I found it slightly cheesy at the time, but now I've grown to completely love it. And uh, the Slipknot debut had its moments, but... Uh... Mm, okay. So, but of it... course, there was the uh, video, you know, everyone was trying to shock everyone else with the Mother North video. And, you know, uh, it was like... 
oh, hey, it's got real boobs, dude, and things like that. <laughs> a stupid thing to say because, you know, it was on the internet and you were just a few searches away from real boobs of all shapes and sizes <laughs> and, you know, with no black metal happening in the background. But uh, I don't know. Hey, but that's that... also, yeah, that's also a period of time when, when you actually had to do that. You had to wait for perhaps, say, five minutes for oh, yeah. the pixelation <laughs> to clear up and actually see <laughs> exactly. those. <laughs> oh, God, don't remind me. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Anyways, so um, so from, uh, from both of your answers, what I'm given to understand is both of you weren't into black metal, black metal as such before... Uh... I listening was, to Satyricon, is that I so? I think it actually uh, got my first uh, black metal tape, which was, I mean, uh, of course, whether this is actual true cult black metal is an entirely different can of worms. Uh, but I'd got uh, Dusk in Her Embrace on tape before this. And I'd uh, also, I think, got uh, Cruelty and the Beast uh, by Cradle of Filth, and I liked both those albums just fine. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, uh, this, uh, I think Satyricon, uh, uh, Nemesis Divina was definitely a more serious sounding album in the sense that, you know, it wasn't uh, almost cartoony, hammer horror infused kind of thing, like a lot of those Cradle of Filth albums were. So, yeah, so strangely enough, I also was into like symphonic death metal at that time. So no surprises, Dimmu Bogir and all of that. And laugh all you want, but I was into that whole goth metal phase. So like bands like... Oh, Theater of Tragedy and uh, what was that yeah. other band? The Sins of Thy Beloved. Were you ever into uh, The Trist Sins of Thy Beloved? No, but I was into Tristania, which later Ooh, became... Tristania. Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. See, I knew that. Was did you funny. also? Did you also oh, the like, the paint book. the paint your uh, eyelids black and your fingernails black? No, I, I, no, I, I avoided all of that. But that's enough about me and Ravi. What about you, Armesh? I mean, considering you played in a black metal band, come on, I'm very curious. I play know. in a black metal band now, right? But when around this time, when I first heard Satyricon my black metal knowledge was as yours. It was limited to uh, Cradle of Filth and Demu Borgir, largely, right? The only, that was the only black metal I'd heard, and I didn't know that that wasn't black metal as such. Uh, so I first got to hear of Satricon or began to take them seriously only when they were announced as part of 2008's Great Indian Rock lineup, right? Oh, yeah. And... Um, seeing them as on the lineup, I was like, okay, what the hell? What is this band? And let's go and check them out. And of course, the first couple of clicks led them to promotions of their most recent release, which I didn't know was a black and roll album. But it had songs like Old Man Sitting on a Black Porch uh, or whatever that song title is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, this is this black metal? God, like, you know, you've only heard stories about how black metal is supposed to make you feel powerful. It's supposed to be satanic. It's supposed to be demonic. It's supposed to be, oh my God, scary, right? And then you hear that and you're like, oh, this is black metal? Okay, great. Maybe it's like power metal. It's not meant for me to get. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, so I heard, so I had that, so I heard that one album. Okay, I heard that one album and I went for the concert and Oh my God, that concert completely changed my mind. It, that, that concert was, uh, I think that's the reason why I began to enjoy proper, true black metal. And I'll get into that because obviously that has a lot to do with the song Mother North, uh, which is one of the few classics that the band played in that uh, 2008 concert because it was all part of that album cycle or that album tour. So we'll discuss that Mother North. Uh, sorry, we'll discuss that story when we eventually discuss Mother North. We'll talk more about the video when we eventually talk Mother North as well. But uh, before that, let's try and set the context and understand why Nemesis Divina made for essential listening eventually. Uh, when it arrived in 1996, the world already knows about black metal. The world already knew black metal as such. Um, Specifically, it knew about Norwegian black metal. It's been a good two years since Mayhem and Emperor have released De Mysteries, Dom Se Thanas, and In the Nightside Eclipse, uh, respectively. 
countless churches have already been burned uh, immortal burzum dark throne insert your favorite second wave black metal band here they've probably debuted and released some stellar music satyricon itself has released two albums it's a furious debut dark medieval times and 994's the shadow throne so uh ravi let's toss to you um why what makes nemesis divina stand out especially as a third album by a black metal band that's already put out uh raw and pretty much in the vein of normal black metal at that time albums yeah i think there was a kind of uh, ornateness to uh, nemesis divina which you know was not really uh present in the genre you know i mean the term uh oft imitated never equaled comes to mind uh and i think the thing is when you talk about things like atmosphere and stuff like that uh if you don't get it it just sounds like a you know gigantic load of nonsense but absolutely if you do get i think this is one of the most palpably atmospheric black metal releases around and you know uh right from the first track and the kick off of this is amageddon you know it's absolutely stunning and it just never ever lets up and you know there was a kind of it was so well produced in the sense that everybody was talking about the raw black metal aesthetic and things like that and, you know i think there were bands like even graveland around then who were putting out these albums that were highly acclaimed but which you had to be kind of almost a devotee of the genre to really uh, let it sink in i mean it took me ages to like a lot of the really raw underproduced black metal because you know it essentially just sounded like guys yeah. not really knowing what they were doing but this had such a purpose to it it was so absolutely powerful so well put together it was catchy without being cloying which is such a difficult uh, you know uh, combination to pull off uh, in the sense that uh, i i mean i've never actually done this experiment but i'd say if you got even a person who's not really into metal or really into black metal or anything of that sort to listen to mother north they probably you know if they were reasonably passionate about music they probably find something likable there i've actually tried to do that i mean uh, because i was tripping out over mother north when i first yeah, heard it results uh yeah i didn't get the results as wanted because yeah to pe- to most to most other people even those recordings when heard over cheap ass headphones because that's yeah. what i could afford at that time they sound like yeah but yeah. if you know if you if you if you understand the atmosphere or the ambience or this is such a fucking deli thing for me to say but it's seriously about feel <laughs> it's about invisible oranges and it's about feel no oh, but you know i'm glad you say that because i've always felt like whenever i've lived in countries where it's actually cold and we're not talking delhi cold but i'm talking like you know in the minus 15 20 and stuff like that that's when the black metal actually hits you like there's nothing like putting on your headphones walking in like the desolate thing and all you see all around you is just snow and listening to black metal and getting lost in it i think that's just it for me Mm. So Peter what made the Nemesis Divina stand out for you when you first heard it man it's just that i'd say just that aggression in there right i mean like prior to this all the stuff i've been listening to is like the symphonic like well produced you know uh, sounding metal in there and you've got the keyboards and all of that and like ravi said right when the start where you just hear like this is armageddon you're like okay like this is like literally like a call to arms of sort on the first song itself and then you have frost in there who's like i i'd say like battery is like a proper description for what he does i mean it's just nuts how he goes on the drums and all of that so for me just that aggression that kind of gets to you and in in a way i mean if you think about it if you leave like the certain ambience part there's a lot of like death metalish stuff in there right i mean the anti christ and the anti religion lyrics and all of that i think that i mean again as a teenager that kind of connects with you right you're just like want something like this 
I think Norwegian, you? I think Norwegian black metal has can t- definitely take anything that's antichrist and say, hey, no, that's my domain, and fuck off that metal. You go and talk about something else. Uh, especially you, Glenn Benton. I don't need a uh, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't need to brand a cross on myself, an inverted cross on myself, because I've got corpse paint. Jack off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. Anyways, um, Nemesis Divina. It's adding on to what 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 the both of you already said. It's fierce. It's crisp. It's intense. And there's this determination on it. There's this clarity of focus and complete, like you know, absolute only one. uh point that needs to be hit as such and i think that kind of is summarized in the album name itself nemesis divina uh enemy of the divine or enemy of god as such and that's something that's the lyrical theme that paints the entire album um uh and yes as ravi pointed out earlier it has this polish on it which i think makes it um which gives it a slight mainstream appeal and by that i mean it can appeal to people who haven't heard black metal before and i think that's the point that you were trying to raise so uh let's quickly go through the songs here um seven songs all of them have been written by satter of course though song number 4 that's uh, do some hate or good or you who hate god uh, also has a songwriting credit for of all people fenris fenris of course is uh, better known as the other half of dark throne alongside nocturno calto so fuck we should all say this together is it let's begin then talk about the dawn of a new age which begins with the mighty roar this, this is our mageddon okay that riff immediately when you first begin listening to it right it hits it's so aggressive it's so it's oh my god it's it's powerful it's what black metal is supposed to make you feel like and if you're listening to it as a metalhead right and you you haven't heard black metal before you'll also know that okay this doesn't sound as polished as normal metal should it's not on time it sounds weird it's is is it not playing on time is the tempo not right i don't know something seems to be off but oh my god the feel is unmatched isn't it Yeah I mean like the way I would put it is just like how you I mean I've seen some bands use it but this is like like chest bursting like it just comes out of you you're like ah, you just want to like scream along and that that's how I feel to some of the songs right I mean it's it's in Norwegian but I just want to be like growling or screeching along to it and uh, that's why all three of us could immediately do uh, this is Armageddon uh, together but you get like a sense of you know Frost talent on the drums, right? Because this is just nuts the way he's like playing, and I never heard anything like that before. I mean, programmed drums probably, but nothing like this. Ravi, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you guys have kind of covered this up uh, really well, but uh, that first track, it's just so fantastic, and also. you know the lyrics uh, of course large parts of it are kind of direct quotes from the king james bible suitably modified here and there uh, especially the last part where he kind of uh, wishes the doom of the world or whatever uh, it's such a total package of a song it's goosebump inducing it's yeah it is fantastic yeah yep. it is it is the lex luger of songs he is the total package <laughs> <laughs> there's a wrestling reference wrestling but... reference right there for you yeah so why it's the lex luger of songs is because there's so many different facets or sides of the band that it shows you right there's that uh, obviously there's the intense black metal riffage there is a great chorus there's also a, there's also that folksy part at the end which takes you by surprise and honestly i really wasn't prepared for it i didn't expect that to show up in the, on this song because it's so sonically different but it it kind of just gives you it's it's like like people would know that i love food analogies so it's kind of like the perfect thali here it gives you all the various dishes that a bandic satrican could uh, serve um yeah but honestly i still and unless i have a lyric sheet in front of me i still can't make out what that last final spoken part is all about no i always have the lyric sheet in front of me i mean yeah it's it's, it's actually from the, the revelation 
of course, there's a few songs in Norwegian, so you know that the lyric sheets yeah. aren't any help. But <laughs> thank God for Google Translate, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So let's move on then. Let's talk about song number two, which is in Norwegian. It's the first Norwegian song on this album. It's called Forhexet or Bewitched. Okay, so after that lengthy fucking track, it's not a lengthy track actually. It's around what six minutes or so. Yeah. The the dawn of a new age. This one's a, this one's of course shorter. It's crisper, but again, it begins on such a non black metal kind of note. If you haven't heard enough black metal before, yeah, actually that that's the thing, right? About uh, a track like this, like you think, and of course, if you've heard certain tracks, and you kind of expect, and that's where this album kind of throws you off, right? Yeah, I think uh, what's I think what what was interesting about the fact that the track was in uh, Norwegian, and of course you have to remember that you know the first copy. Uh, I think both of us, both me and uh, Peter, got at this album was basically a burnt CD, so you had absolutely no lyrics. Uh, my internet was too shitty to you know. Uh, I, I think at that point of time, I was like on some ridiculous 14.4K modem. So it was not even worth searching for anything. online. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, just the fact that you're hearing something in a language that's, that you're completely unfamiliar with living in India. And it's just come after this track. It, I think, just builds into the mythos of black metal to perhaps an even greater degree for somebody who's non-Norwegian than, you know, for somebody who could actually understand and parse the lyrics because you have, oh my God, what the hell is he saying? And why did he switch to Norwegian? So, you know, again, yeah. it's just part of the entire mystique and uh, the sense that you're listening to something extremely alien and, uh, that it's completely discontinuous from, you know, all the uh, earlier blasphemous stuff that you may have heard before that, uh, like Deicide, which is a little silly, uh, or rather got a little silly beyond a point, or uh, something like uh, Immolation, which comes to the entire idea of atheism uh, from an almost rational kind of perspective. And, you know, this just sounds like something very very otherworldly and i guess the fact that it's in uh, it was in norwegian and you had uh, no benefit of liner notes or google translate or anything else just made it seem all that more of a you know unnerving kind of experience when you heard that exactly yep it sounds unnerving it sounds evil and here's the thing it sounds ferocious and furious and Eventually, when I when I actually ended up doing the Google Translate of the lyrics, it's this song is about incest that's performed in a meadow of thorns under the light of the full moon, which then leads to angels being nailed to the ground, leaving the earth in a sea of flames. And while we may laugh at that, if we were to consider that seriously, the sound or the music completely paints a similar picture. That's oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And that's the fucking beauty of, of, I think, what this album manages to do. Yeah, it's extraordinarily foreboding music. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, which makes sense why you have that, you know, transition in the middle happening in there and also that like folksy kind of like pagan outro. outro right? Yeah. Yeah, completely. And that leads us into song number three, Mother North. Is this Satricon's most popular track? Or would oh, that be King? By by such a wide margin, it's not yeah. even funny. I think they to date close shows with uh this track. And uh recently I got the uh, uh the live album they did with the uh Norwegian Fire. And yeah. that's probably the most epic rendition of that song ever. But I think the original is still my favorite because it has that, you know, X factor, that indefinable, you know, evil foreboding kind of vibe to it. And uh, what's amazing is the fact that the song is so catchy. And if you look at the main verse pattern, it's almost like a waltz. Mm. 
<laughs> it's essentially got the same beats as a waltz, except of course, you know, uh, within the meta structure of a waltz, you have this guy literally hammering every single, uh, you know, piece of equipment he has in his drum kit to shreds. It's 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 an amazing sensation hearing that. And, you know, to actually structure uh, such, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm getting a little inarticulate here, but uh, hmm. essentially what I'm trying to say is when you have such fast, furious drumming, you don't expect the superstructure of that to be walls-like, but it actually is. And there's an interesting story uh, about its recording. Apparently, uh, when Frost was uh, first got into the song, he just was completely playing 19 to the dozen, really, yeah. really fast. And the other guys had to tell him, listen, you have to slow down because you're throwing the entire song out of sync. And how are the lyrics going to fit into the drum patterns that you're coming up with? So, Yeah, and, and it's crazy, right? Because when I was... Uh, so five years ago, I happened to do an interview with Frost when they did the 20th anniversary and we're doing the remaster of this album. The chorus riff, right, is actually written by Frost. And uh, I'm just going to read out what his response to the interview was because it was via email. He said, at some point, I got the idea for a guitar theme that could fit the song. And even though I didn't really play guitar, I managed to play the theme in a way that made sense. And that's basically how like uh, Satir kind of built on that. But he says that I perceive Mother North as more energetic and intense. And it's only when he heard like the finished arrangement did it actually make sense. But uh, yeah, that story is crazy of how I'm just going nuts in the recording studio. Because uh, I don't know how they could have pulled it off in a way. Yeah, but the, yeah the, the way that they managed to do it and the way that they managed to structure that song. Oh my God. It, it's So here is a big, big, big confession, I guess, or whatever. I don't know who's tracking my life besides me. But uh, if, my bio, my, if my biography was ever to be written, it would include the fact that Mother North is probably the reason for my love of black metal because I heard it live. And that was my first, that was the oh, first time yes. I heard the song. I was actually at that same gig that you mentioned. And I was like practically gritting my teeth through the uh, more commercial stuff that they did. And I think they were touring now Diabolical. And yeah, like, exactly. Oh, yeah, that, that was the album. Commercial, you know, this basically. I, yeah. That Satyricon is so different. Yeah, from... this is basically hard rock with harsher vocals. Exactly, right? It's black <laughs> and rock. It's black and roll, whatever you want to call that. It's... Yeah, and then they, I think, ended the set even on that uh, occasion with Mother North. And it was like, okay, fine. This is completely redeemed. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like, so here's the thing, right? My exposure to Satyricon at that time, as I said before, was only, was only now diabolical. And the set that they played on that show had more of their black and roll kind of stuff. So I wasn't, I wasn't even expecting anything to, you know, I had written off the band and then the band starts playing Mother North. I kid you not. I kid you not. My feet literally like it's, it was as if uh, a zombie or something had emerged from the ground and was, and had grabbed me by the ankles. I was rooted to the ground. I felt a genuine sense of fear. I felt terror. A cold shiver literally ran down my spine. I was, I was flummoxed. I was like, oh my God, what is this music? Why is this making me feel in this manner? And I remember, I remember a couple of people. I remember um, Hari and I remember uh, Arun from Devoid. Both of them were in tears while Mother North is being played. And I don't think, I, I, I don't know, maybe we met you, Ravi, maybe we didn't. Yeah, but... there were 40-odd people in that gig. We must have met. Yeah, we must have met. Yeah. <laughs> but Mother North and the sheer epicness of it, oh, and yeah. the sheer feel of it, completely changed my mind about Satracon. I went home that same night on my shitty ass internet connection, found a, a torrent link or whatever, uh, downloaded the album and have been a fan of it ever since. 
that album changed my life that yeah. song changed my life yeah that was one of the uh, i mean as soon as i managed to get a hold of the cd i bought it and i was like oh man these guys deserve my money for this album it's so freaking excellent <laughs> so you know if any of the band members still think i'm like uh, cheap ass uh, <laughs> oh, yeah all of us actually burnt cd i'm not <laughs> don't worry satter don't worry yeah, we, we you we have our them. money yeah we <laughs> actually uh, was thinking of plumping for the uh, 20th anniversary remaster though it's now i think a little out of print and frightfully expensive but well uh, it's got the record and the you know and the uh, cd and of course a kind of uh, lp you know yeah the whole set the album cover uh, are we going to be talking about the album cover at some time because yes that- yes yes we will we of will course. we will do that at the end to wrap everything mm. up okay also while we are talking mother north we have to talk about that music video you want to do it right now okay of Let's course of course we have to talk about it right now yeah so you know i think i heard the album maybe around 98 99 thereabouts in 2001 i think roger waters was playing bangalore and i went to bangalore and there i got to meet a lot of people who were hugely into um, you know extreme metal and one of them had actually downloaded the video and he was the guy who was like you know very thrilled about the fact that this was a video with actual boobs in it as opposed to <laughs> those what uh but we sat and we watched the video and i think the video kind of diminished the song for me because it was i mean first of all uh i think i didn't at that point of time appreciate the difference between the budgets allocated to bands on big labels like iron maiden who the videos <laughs> you know were absolutely fantastic mini movie things or you know even somebody like i don't know say extreme uh, of course they are a hard rock band but you know they had some fairly good videos like the rest in peace videos really nice and then there was this and i had absolutely no idea about the uh, social pecking order of bands and things like that and i was like what the hell is this this looks so cheap this is essentially like you know one of the made on the fly hindi horror films there's just a guy over using the smoke machine there's close ups on an eye looking here and there to kind of create tension uh, there's this woman listlessly wandering around topless so this was of course the censored version i later saw the uncensored version in which uh the woman gets stabbed but you know it's all very very laughable and cartoony gore and you know it's yeah basically um b movie production values and bollywood b movie production values which is, <laughs> you know c movie production really, values yeah. you, know, uh, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have mithun chakrabarty producing these films <laughs> <laughs> he would have no, done a better job people wouldn't be able to afford mithun dude Exactly uh, that's that's exactly yeah. what i meant this is the sort of film where rami reddy was the hero so you know <laughs> <laughs> you're right you're right but here's the thing right this this music video um somehow uh became the poster child for black metal music videos and the reason for them to go mainstream in a way too uh because it gives you everything that you want from a black metal video doesn't it Yeah, even I mean, though it has shitty production values yeah so like just going back to that interview that i did with frost right he said that they actually sustainer and him actually wanted to make a music video after like three albums and it was no surprise that they chose uh, mother north because of you know the catchiness and the epic qualities and if you've seen like the unedited uh, or the uncut version of it you have that intro bit right with like the kind of anthemic uh, yeah. part that they've got yeah so, they basically sample a lot of classical music both at the beginning and the end yeah yeah but the thing is if you've seen that fire breathing scene that's there in the start right that's actually frost that did it and he said that he got totally soaked in gasoline and ended up because it was so cold vomiting on the location because it was like that brutally cold in there but like this is the thing about like black metal right he says i didn't care much about it though my only concern was whether we would make 
we would manage to make the video visually striking enough. So this is like literally doing all it takes for the art, right? Of course, yeah. that's what black metal is all about. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, I think it was, I, I think it was not exactly a narratively very, very coherent video, though I think we earlier today read somebody who kind of, uh, I think, uh, uh, sort I of dissertation as such. <laughs> yeah. On Mother North. That video <laughs> and then complain saying that, oh, but this doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense because, you know, maybe your premise was stupid to start with. Uh, <laughs> If yeah, this video like a series of images that uh, somebody uh, that you know kids who wanted to come up with, and I think they were barely uh, out of their teens around the time they made this. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was I basically the kind of ideas that very young heavy metal fans who probably seen a fair number of uh, you know uh, inexpensively produced horror movies take their cues from while at the same time trying to kind of hint at, you know, the majesty and mystery in the entire thing. But, you know, you of course don't have any budget that's going to support majesty and mystery. You, you're at least two decades away from having technologies which allow you to kind of have majesty and mystery in your hand, you know, if you know how to shoot well enough. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it's very much a product of its time. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a, trend these days of people kind of uh, redoing videos or coming up with new videos for old songs and who knows maybe if these guys uh, put the put their minds and the kind of budgets that they have at their disposal to it we might actually get that really you know rousing and a narratively coherent video out of it but yeah I would love to see a Mother, Mother North video directed by M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> 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 or even a Ram Gopal Varma. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> no, like, that which... would. Uh, well, the Ram Gopal Varma version wouldn't be very much different from what we have at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you that question only. Like, Ram Gopal Varma in 2021 or like, say, in the 90s? <laughs> oh, in their primes, of course, in their primes. Anyways, so let's move on. Let's move on to the next song, which is Do Som Hater Good or You Who Hate God. Now, for me, these four songs together, you have to hear them as a package eventually yeah. when you do get around to wanting to listen to albums as such because these four songs make the first half of the album a really, really, really strong listen. And uh, going with the lyrical theme, lyrics, once again, translated, what it means is it's an attack on God where God is blamed to lead fellow Norwegians to ruin. He has devastated the Norwegian realm with his ugly words and thus he must leave the field. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, before we get into that, a quick question. Did any of you other guys for the longest time stop hearing the album after Mother Not? Because I did that for a very, very, very long time. For me? I upgraded to the full CD that I was like, oh, okay. Now I may as well plod my way through the rest of this, but... Uh, for me, that happens after Do Some Hater God. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So the first four, which is why I say the first four songs, you have to hear it in a package because everything flows beautifully. It's one, it's, it's an intensity which, do, which, doesn't, which doesn't drop at all. Yeah. But then, yeah, you're right. The remaining three songs, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're great, but, you know... Uh... Let's they just, just don't have the oral intensity. The thing is, uh, Mother Not sets the bar so high. Actually, the first three tracks, uh, first four tracks set the bar so high. You know, it's a bit of a come down, but, you know, it's not like it's not like it sucks or it's something that you hate or it's not like something that you feel doesn't belong on the album at all. It's just that, you know... Uh, the album starts on such a high that it would be, I guess, humanly impossible to keep up that intensity for eight songs. I think four songs is about, you know, as much juice as you've got. Maybe, maybe. So these three songs uh, that we're talking about, these are Immortality, Passion, the title track Nemesis Divina, and the only instrumental on the album, Transcendental Requiem of Slaves. 
it's interesting because it kind of takes off from the end of Nemesis Divina and then gets into purely ambient uh, territory. And I think it's a good way to end the album. Um, Completely. No, no, no. I agree with you on that. So, um, it though it doesn't sound like sounds, though initially, okay, let me rephrase that. Though when I first heard the album, it didn't sound like it belonged on the album. On future releases, now that I've heard more black metal, etc., etc., I think it serves its purpose because to a non-fan, this will act as almost like a palate cleanser of sorts. It's got more of a vibe of sadness. It's this very, very elegiac outro. Uh, you know, uh, essentially, I think the entire song Nemesis Divina in particular is about uh, Christianity coming to Norway and how it's essentially ruined the old ways, etc., etc., and the entire last part is like it says in the title, a requiem. So, you know, yeah, yeah, like so, this so, moody, so, the first, so the first few times I heard that burn CD, I thought like it was like two albums or some other track, like kind of <laughs> recorded on there, as with most of the burn CDs you had, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I guess these are one of those albums, I guess, when you in retrospect listen and kind of spent time right which unfortunately today you don't have when you're listening to on streaming right where you're just kind of like skipping through tracks that back then you just had like few cds and you just kept listening to them so eventually you kind of warmed up to them right oh absolutely correct yeah so that is nemesis divina as far as music goes as far as production goes as far as just the album goes let's quickly talk about the artwork oh that was so fantastic. I mean, the uh, it was frankly one of the uh, scariest albums that uh, album art things I'd ever seen because you know I uh, to date have no idea whether the bird was killed for the cover <laughs> or if it was just a random dead slash stuffed bird. Oh. Uh, but so- you know, if you if you look at it, it's essentially. Uh, the bird and this, all the wires that it's kind of been tied to this thing with and there are these odd symbols and eyes and flames and things like that around it. It was such a huge step up in terms of uh, black metal album yeah. art. I mean, the Cradle of Filth albums, I still think they're black metal. Other people may disagree. But, you know, they had a kind of... Uh, recognizable sort of cheesiness to that you looked at it and you're like ah yeah that's probably by a kid who grew up watching you know the brides of dracula or something like that you know it was very hammer horror it was very very uh british horror tropes you know brought to life in a kind of slightly r-rated manner Uh, whereas this just struck you as again very very discontinuous something that was completely different something that you hadn't seen at all on album art before. I honestly think it's their best album cover. Uh, you know, I don't think even Satricon have been able to uh, yeah. stop that in terms of the visual impact that cover makes. Yeah, so actually, so what Frost actually mentioned in the interview that it was inspired by the thematics and music of Nemesis Divina. And um, don't worry for all our PETA listeners and also the vegans and all of them there. So the artist uh, Stein Loken actually created an art installation, which he then later set on fire. So the bird wasn't set on fire. It, it was the uh, art Yeah, but was the bird killed for the art? That's the question, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I, yeah I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I don't think, to be honest, uh, Satyricon have been able to top the artwork. What do you think, Animesh? I don't think they've been able to top this album. (laughs) (laughs) Ever again. Yeah, this was the the lightning in a bottle. This was, I think when Frost, uh, sorry, I think when Satter went into, I mean, that's the story, right? Satter goes into his house or he gets a new house, which is absolutely far away from everywhere else in the world. And he sits down and he starts only writing writing and focusing and writing out this album. I don't think he's ever... uh, I think after this album, the amount of applause kind of went to his head. And so he went mainstream. And so the band goes mainstream. I don't, 
think so. I mean, I think <laughs> Rebel Extravaganza was not really mainstream sounding. It was industrial black metal. Yeah. It did not really flow from, uh, you know, uh, Nemesis Divina, but it was definitely nowhere near as, you know, uh, catchy as uh, the uh, later material would be. I'm talking here about full uh, full length albums, of course. I think they did yeah. a couple in between, uh, which I haven't heard. Uh, but I think this was probably their most uh, challenging album in the sense that it is just incredibly intense, start to stop. And, uh, you know, unlike, uh, unlike Nemesis Divina, which gives you, I don't know, uh, for want of a better way of describing it, auditory breathing room with the slightly folksy passages or, yeah. you know, that slow brooding bit within Mother North. This is just, you know, one gnashing, powerful kind of uh, force of nature start to finish. And it's actually force of nature is a bad way of describing it because it's it sounds completely mecha mechanized and alien. And I think it's probably the finest industrial metals finest moment it's apogee or whatever you can of course call it industrial black metal or whatever but you know i think it's i think that album is incredible yeah but okay but so the reason that, you know i was yeah, really yeah. really shocked because uh, uh other albums were you know kind of like more on the commercial side and uh you know i still like their self-titled album which uh, but, you know, by the time I got to the self-titled album, I was like, I'm just listening to an entirely different band that happens to have the same name. Exactly. Exactly. So here's where I was going with the mainstream thing, because it's after Nemesis Divina that Satricon actually starts to get those tours and get bigger labels and eventually get recognized and start selling really lots of merch and etc yeah. etc and the and the music video for mother north i think did a lot for them too because it got them seen um and it got them picked up and blah and blah and blah so i think somewhere somewhere they lost their roots and even though they they went on and did so many other albums i don't think like maybe it's it's kind of like the pantera story but in reverse right how <laughs> so I mean, you had glam metal going into proper groove metal and what they're calling. <laughs> and at the moment, like, at the moment, really, if, if you were to ask black metal fans which era of Satyricon everyone listens to, uh, yeah. I don't know how many people would say that, yeah, they like listening to Now Diabolical. So who do you think the current fans are? I don't know, actually. That's a very good question. Are they black metal fans who kind of hearing and you know bodies have caught up with them and they're like oh, I don't want to hear something that <laughs> fast and intense anymore but I still want to hear Satyricon so you know I'll listen I to think it. I think the I think the current era set Satyricon fans are those who uh, love listening to metal on the radio and can't choose their own music <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one that that's why they can still listen to king right <laughs> yeah king oh well okay but it's good it's good that satyricon goes mainstream because and it abandons its black metal roots for black and roll approach i think it's good that it happened because hey at least that brought them to india which yeah, yeah. Which, which blows my mind till date when I say it. Yeah, do you now. remember the band they toured with? Sag, who was the stoner doom band and who did a couple of really good albums. Uh, and then, you know, I didn't yeah. like their third album. Their first album was called Sag 1 and the second was Sag 2. Sag 2. And then I kind of lost interest around Sag 3. Yeah. But, you know, when I say it out loud, that's what I'm going to say. It It still blows my mind. Man, Satyricon played Andheri Sports Complex. I swear. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are the odds? What are the odds? But thank God it happened because if that didn't happen, maybe we wouldn't be talking about this album today. Oh, so, yeah, for sure. All's well that ends well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to thank poor Amit Sagal, who's the only person bringing all of these really cool bands down to India. Yeah, man. Africa and Enslaved. 
of course, he's no longer around to, you know, receive our gratitude. But what a guy. What true, a guy. True. RSJ, take a bow. Amit Saigal, yeah. take a bow. While I was preparing for this in, uh, episode, right, I was reading that Satericon are actually in the studio right now. And their last album, which was in 2017, uh, Deep Call It Unto Deep. I don't know if you guys have heard it. I, I did like a couple of times. But they're doing a follow-up to that album, which is due next year. And according to Satir, the new album, and I quote, will feature instrumentation. Will feature instrumentation. Yeah. Will feature instrumentation that you're not used to hearing and is not a collection of songs. So what is it a collection of? I have no idea what they're up to. I don't know. I just hope it's not Satyricon getting into their belated Depeche mode phase like a lot of other black metal bands did. Like Alba, you mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like Alvar or, uh, well, they were in black metal, but Paradise I hope, Depeche yeah. Mode their way through, I think, the early 2000s. Good idea. So, you know, I think every band that does this at some point of time decides, yeah, we want to do a song like Enjoy the Silence. And, you know. Maybe. I just hope yeah. it's not like Burzum's. Uh, oh, my God. Like no. late, late, oh, uh, absolute last few albums. The Jail Chronicles. Oh, <laughs> I haven't, uh, I haven't bothered hearing anything after uh, Bellis. Yeah, keep it so at I that. Should, keep it at that. I'll you the new album. <laughs> On that note, any other albums that are celebrating a big birthday, let us know. We are all ears. We'd love to discuss them with you. If, of course, we deem them worthy to be discussing. Hmm. That's a challenge thrown right at you. You know where to find us. We are at Ponsupport.com or on Twitter at Ponsupport. I'm at Asmohani on Twitter. I'm at Trent Crusher. Ravi, do you want to plug yourself? Nope. <laughs> As always, that's Ravi for you. Anyways, see you guys. Ponsup. Ponsup, guys. Ponsup.